Leviticus 19. Uh, I was talking a little bit earlier to, uh, with Brother Flynn. Uh, pastor had been had preached uh, on the mind, and Mike preached on the heart and the, the mind uh, this morning. And I had no part in either of those plans, but the message that the Lord directed me toward is certainly along the same uh, line. And uh, that's a big topic in the scripture. So without too much of a disclaimer, I don't know if you're familiar with a Venn diagram. It's usually represented, you'll see, like they're usually circles and be like two circles and they kind of overlap and they're showing you the areas where they're distinct and the areas where they're together. And heart and mind in the Bible are very much like that. And without going into it too much here, try to keep in your mind as you're studying, if you make those things too completely distinct, you'll get into trouble. And also, if you completely overlap them and try to make them exactly the same thing, like you just replace the words in your Bible willy-nilly, you'll also get into trouble. Okay? God has them separate for a reason, but they share a lot of commonality. And in our sort of everyday parlance, we talk about the mind and the heart very different, right? The mind is where you think and the heart is where you feel. And we talk about, oh, it needs to get from your head down into your heart. And we use all these sayings, but if we're not careful, let, let those things mean what they mean, but not more than they mean, okay? If we take that and we separate them too much, uh, we'll get in trouble with the scriptures because someone will say, well, you think with your mind. And then, well, what happens when the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart? Well, that just blows that whole thing up, right? So we want to be careful. God has them distinct for a reason. He uses different words for a reason. Um, but let's keep those things. It's, like I say, it's a big topic, and you oftentimes feel like you're just, you know, scraping the iceberg, but we shouldn't shy away from it for that reason. We just got to uh, tackle it one step at a time, right? Uh, you ever heard, how, how do you eat an elephant? Anybody know that? Answer it. One bite at a time, right? That's exactly, that's how you eat an elephant. Doesn't mean you can't, but you got to just chew off. So we're just going to take another bite tonight, all right? This isn't the whole elephant. We can't do that in uh, the amount of time we have. Uh, but we're going to start, uh, I've called this the battleground of the mind, and we're going to start in Leviticus 19. Uh, Leviticus 19, and verse 35. The Bible says, You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight, or in measure. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we pray tonight that as we get into your word here for this next little bit, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would instruct us in your word and in your way, uh, that we as your people, Lord, would grow closer to you, that we'd be uh, vessels fit for the master's use. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time together tonight. I thank you for each one that's here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See that word <laughs> meat yard in there? It's not a word that we would use commonly. Uh, it's pretty much one of these things. As you'd probably guess, it looks sort of like that. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. Warren and I were talking about it, is that you'd call these a, a yard stick or possibly a meter stick if you were using metric, and they're both pretty close in length. And the Bible, it's like it uses both words and combines them together, right? A meter yard stick, <laughs> a meat yard. But this is what it's talking about, how you measure something, 
right? Jesus said with the same measure that you meet, it will be meted again to you, right? And the thing about yardsticks, though, is I got this one at Lowe's and I got this one at Walmart, and they're not exactly the same. <laughs> not only the total length, but even the markings in between. There's some spots on here. They're probably about a, I don't know, 30 seconds of an inch, maybe, apart from one another. And so certainly for all practical uses, these are both yardsticks. But when you start to get particular about them, you can run into, you know, you wouldn't want to use these, uh, you know, in, let's say, an engineering job. You'd probably get yourself into trouble, especially if somebody, one group took one of them and another group took another and they started making more yardsticks based off of those. Eventually, they'd start drifting apart, right? And, and God tells the people here, he says, don't do any unrighteousness in judgment. He said, you need a, a just balance, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin shall ye have. Proverbs 16, 11 says, A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. God is always righteous in his judgment. He doesn't have two sets back here. And that's the, you can go back to uh, Deuteronomy actually 25, where the Lord warns the people. He says, you, you're not to have two different sets of weights back here that you use on the scale. When you went into the market or whatever the case may be and you, you, know, you purchased food, that got weighed on a balance. And it got weighed if you wanted a pound of meat, you had to uh, assume that the weight on the other side of that scale was an accurate pound. And if someone wanted to cheat you, they'd put different weights in their bag, right? And the Lord says you're, you're not to have that kind of a mindset. You're not to, to treat people like that. Job said, let me be weighed in an even balance, an even balance. The balance requires a right standard. The balance doesn't, is just a tool. It's not useful if you can't trust what's being measured against something. That's why I said if, if your yardstick isn't accurate, then it can't do its job. It can't do its job. In Micah 6, 11, the Lord says, shall I count them pure with a wicked balances and with a bag of deceitful weights. Deceitful weights. What's the standard that you have in your mind? Do you use that standard faithfully? How do you want others to judge your works or to deal with you in your business dealings or anywhere in life? You want to be, you probably want to say with, with Job that I want to be weighed in an even balance. I want what's right. I want to be repre represented as true. Salvation is the renewing of our minds. We are washed in the word of God. This is a perfect standard and we need to have our minds corrected by it. Uh, a corrupt mind leads to unbalanced thinking. And ultimately, it, it leads to the point that the mind becomes reprobate. Uh, we read over in Isaiah 5 where the Bible says there comes a day they'll call evil good and good evil. Uh, we've just heard from, from pastor about things that are going on in our land right now where people are calling good evil and evil good. And to the degree that they believe it, it's because their mind has become corrupt. They no longer have just weights in their bag. Their yardstick, their meat yard 
is corrupted. And when they look at something, they don't get truth back. 2 Corinthians 11.3, the Bible says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Serpent was subtle, wasn't he? And almost always, he's going to bring his lies, and that's how sin comes to you. It represents a lie to your mind, but it's normally mostly truth, at least in my experience. And you look in the scripture, you look at the, at the devil when he's tempting Eve in the garden. You look at him when he's dealing with Job. You look at him when he approaches the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter four, Luke chapter four. Almost everything he says in all those cases is true. Almost everything he says. That's subtlety. That's subtlety. You, you think his goal for you has changed since any of those scenarios? No. He wants to lead you into sin by presenting your mind with something that's mostly true, but it's not quite a just measure. It's not quite an accurate bag of weights. And he wants to get you to, to the balance to be off so that you might think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 5, he said, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, destitute of the truth. You see these things together in the scripture over and over. He said again, 2 Timothy 3, 8, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, corrupt minds. The mind needs truth. I know we oftentimes, we like, you know, we put our mind is in our brain, right? It's up here. It's like our heart is down here, sort of by the organ that we call the heart that pumps blood through our body. And just like your brain, it lives off of oxygenated blood. It has to have that to function or you die. Your mind functions on truth. It has to have truth to do, it jo- do its job. But a corrupt mind resists truth, sometimes ignores truth. I kind of think of your mind a little bit as the firewall of your heart. And God put it that way for a reason. Now, if you ignore it, if you just leave the gate wide open, the heart is the prize. And eventually you'll start operating on emotion. That's what we hear all the time around, right? Follow your heart. Well, <laughs> maybe a spirit led heart that has a, a mind that's intact, that's, that's judging things by the word of God, sure. But just loosey-goosey, hey, don't worry about it. No, the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. We're to love truth, John said. But man, has our society ever made a mess of that, haven't they? Go over to James chapter one. Any of you remember uh, the slogan of Uh, The United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? Now, I'm sure they had their own uh, reasons, like, you know, political or otherwise, that they were trying to uh, use that as their slogan. But it's certainly true. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And many people have wasted theirs in so many ways. In fact, look at James chapter 1. 
In verse eight, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable some of the time. Nope. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What does it mean, double-minded? It means he's got multiple sets of weights that he judges things by. His, his meat yard is not straight. It's not right. Go over to chapter four if you're, while you're there in James. James chapter four and verse eight. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double-mindedness leads to problems. You don't have just weights. People want to talk about Bible versions. Hey, I know we can get off track with this, but there aren't Bible versions. There's the Bible and there are corruptions. I know I say, why do you have to say that? Well, this, this is the standard. This is the true meat yard. This is the true bag of weights. And once you start calling it into question, you've got more than one standard, don't you? You're double-minded. Say, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, when you leave some stuff out, that's like taking weights out of the bag. It doesn't weigh the same anymore. The standard's not the same. When you add things into it, or when you rearrange the verse number so that it looks like the real standard, you're trying to play a game with people. You're saying, we know what the standard is and we want this to look like it, but we're just going to fudge some numbers around here a little bit. 2 Corinthians 2, 7, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that every new version changes that verse. We're not as they that peddle the word of God, sell the word of God. They change anything else but corrupt. Those, those don't mean the same thing. Those aren't just weights. People are trying to corrupt the word of God. Who's behind that, I wonder? Seems like there's a conspiracy to corrupt the word of God. Hey, you should believe in that conspiracy. We say the Bible is our sole rule of faith and practice, and it should be. But I think in some people's double-mindedness, well, for church, yeah. But I mean, in other areas, then I, you know, I've got this bag over here I use and I judge stuff. That's double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. Do you have other authorities in your life besides the word of God? You need to get that straightened out. Maybe you think there's some other handbook or maybe you just think, oh, I just take different versions of the Bible and I can't. It drives me up the wall how many people actually teach this. You just kind of read them and then you figure out which one has more meaning to you. Who is the authority in that case? Yeah, the one doing that. Okay, we'll get, we'll get off that for now. But an insane asylum is a place filled with people with corrupt minds. You know, people talk about their mind is snapped. Well, it has in many ways. It broke. It can no longer distinguish right from wrong properly. Sometimes we say that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Probably a more clinical definition is insanity is the inability to distinguish reality from fantasy. And in a world that is now more and more raised from looking at screens 
and viewing the world through this little window and box. And we wonder why they are losing the ability to distinguish between reality and fantasy. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're spiritual for the casting down of imaginations. Now, your imagination at its core is is a gift from God and can be used right, but in a world that's fed by social media and Disney and everybody else, its imagination run wild. The mind is checked out and the heart is just feasting on emotion and it's lost the standard. It doesn't even know how to weigh things anymore. Its balance is all screwed up. Stop living in fantasy land. Stop living in imagination. Get some just right weights in the bag so that when you put something on that balance, you get back a true reading. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. People get haughty in their minds. They think they've arrived. They think they have freedom. When in fact, they're captive to the devil. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Excuse me. Verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. 2 Timothy 2 verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Remember, the mind needs truth. It feeds on truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This is a person who's got to a, in a state where they are now captive to the will of their adversary. That is not somewhere you want to be. People think that they're, you know, we're worried about demon possession or devil possession. And we think because it's what Hollywood's told us that anytime a person is possessed, you know, they're frothing at the mouth and running around like a crazy person. No, we live in a world of people who are possessed. Maybe not in the way that Hollywood makes a person look possessed, but their minds are owned by the adversary. I don't know what else to call it. But thankfully, Jesus is in the business of setting captives free, rescuing people and their captive minds from the enemy. So what's to be done? Well, first of all, if, if you're not saved, what's to be done is you need to have your mind renewed and you can't do it yourself. There's one person who can do it. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The only way you can get your mind fixed is by giving it to the Lord, letting him wash it with the word of God, putting a new spirit within you. Christian, what should this look like for us? Go over to Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to turn there, the Bible talks about what we typically call the the armor of God. And in verse 14, it says that we're to have our loins girt about with truth. Truth. 
You've got, you know, a helmet of salvation and shoes of the gospel and all that, but the loins kind of, that's the middle ground, right? People talk today about engaging their core and all that. You know, it gives you good posture. It's sort of, it's what everything else is built around. Now, in our modern way of dressing, it may not make a whole lot of sense, but try to think of maybe someone in the military or a police officer. They usually have a duty belt on. It's got all kinds of, you know, their radio and their handcuffs and all that stuff. That's their loins, right? That's kind of the center. It it binds everything together and keeps it going. He's saying your loins need to be girt with truth. If you don't have truth, things fall apart. You can't operate like that. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13, he says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Right? So now he's giving you this picture, this word picture, that your mind like this person in in armor of God, the loins of it, the thing that holds it, your mind together needs something. It needs truth. The loins of your mind need truth. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are to bring every thought into captivity. See, that's a person who is using their mind the way God intends it to. But we like to just check out, right? Mind, oh, that's too much work. Just feed me some feelings. It's just like feasting on dessert all the time. You just want the constant high with no effort, no preparation, no thought that goes into what you're putting in your mouth. Just give me a buzz and let me pass out. That's what it's like when we're not bringing our thoughts captive. That means it's active. God's like, I've given you a tool to analyze these things. Put this stuff in the balance. Use a just weight and let your mind work for you to protect that precious heart that God gave you. So what should we do? How does that work? Well, Philippians 4, 8 gives us a whole list of things to think on. You probably, most of you know it. You can look it up if you'd like. Things that are lovely, things that are pure, If there's virtue, if there's truth, think on these things. So I don't want to have to think, I just want to veg out. Well, then you're giving up. This isn't about being a scholar. It's not about a college degree or being an intellect or anything like that. It's about utilizing the tools that God's given you, utilizing the mind that God gave you. He tells you what to feed it, what to focus on. Get out of fantasy land Get a Bible and feed your mind what God wants it to be fed. Colossians 3.2 says, set your affections on things above. You know, interest is the best teacher. If you get interested in what God's interested in, you start feeding your mind with the word of God and becoming interested in this book. It's amazing how your affections, now we're back to the heart again, right? They start to change. You start to like the things that God wants you to like. You start saying, you know, that that fluffy stuff the world's offering just doesn't have the same punch it used to. I want something more. I don't want to settle for that. Hey, while you've got a Bible, beloved, how about we hide it in our hearts? How about we read it while we're still free to read it? While you can still go down to the dime store and pick up a copy of a King James Bible. I don't know. I hope it stays that way, but if it doesn't, If yours was taken today, how much of it have you put inside you? Read it, meditate on it, hide it. Brainwashing is suffocating a person's mind from truth. 
You just feed them error, maybe mixed with a bunch of truth, but error nonetheless, and you cut them off from what it really needs. You starve the mind of truth. Well, hey, right now you're breathing free and easy. I, I suggest we drink it in to the full. Take as much of it as we can. Turn to Hebrews chapter three, or excuse me, chapter 12, and we're done. Hebrews chapter 12. Gird up the loins of your mind. Feed it truth. Think on things that are pure and lovely. Think on things that are true. Set your affections above. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 says, For consider him. You can read on there. It's obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. What should we set our minds on? We should set our minds on considering him. It means consider him that is the word. What he thinks, how he judges things. The fact that he wants us to have just weights and a just balance. That he's given us truth and he wants us to use it. Beloved, a mind is a precious thing to waste because your heart is a prize that God wants and he's given you a mind to protect it. He's given us all kinds of instructions about how to use it, how to to guard our heart with it, what to feed it. Let's make sure we're not slack in doing what our creator has charged us with doing with it. I think it'll help us. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the the kind attention of your people this evening. I pray that you would use these things, Father, from your book to speak to our hearts, Lord, to speak to our minds. Lord, that we might grow in you. We might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we be fit for his use, that we be able to love you fully, Lord. Father, uh, thank you for this place and for each one that makes it up. Pray your blessings upon your people now in Jesus' name. Amen.